Hey, everybody, how you doing? And welcome to another episode of the John Riley Project. Today, gosh, what day is today? It's the uh, 28th of July, and it's Tuesday. This is episode number 146. Thanks for joining us. We're live streaming on YouTube, just kind of working through some of the bugs in that system. But um, yeah, it's a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Got a whole bunch of great things to talk about. We're going to do basically kind of a news update. I'm going to share my thoughts on a lot of different things, talk a a little bit about the economy, uh, some of the you know, some of the transitions, things we're we're going through with the economy. We'll talk about, you know, health related issues with the masks. We're going to really do a deep dive into some local updates here in Poway. You know, a lot of our listeners and viewers enjoy that I cover a lot of local Poway issues um, here in the Poway, Rancho Bernardo, kind of North County inland area of San Diego County. So we're going to explore some of that as well tonight, um, just to kind of, you know, sort of of like Hacksaw, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, we're going to hopscotch around and, uh, you know, kind of uh, go through all the topics on the table. Um, but yeah, what, what have I been up to? I, I think the, um, the big thing these days for me is I'm just really loving watching Padre baseball. It's back on, man. And Padres are doing great. I'm really fired up for them. And those uniforms are just first class, man. I mean, just, just digging them. They are done so well, so nicely, re- embracing the, the brown and gold. Um, they just, they're just first class all the way. And so tonight they're going to be playing up in San Francisco. And I'm interested to see if they're going to go with their road grays with the pinstripes, which I think are probably the best ones when they previewed them at Petco, you know, before the season started. So I'm fired up about it. I mean, the uniforms are great. The team is playing really well. Three and one. I mean, you could argue they should be four and oh to start. So they're doing great. Um, Chase Tingler, um, the manager, just really like his style. Is He's just a he's just a good guy, a guy that you want to you want to play for, a guy that's a really good communicator that gets his whole team involved, um, really like kind of the energy that he He's creating in the dugout. So really excited about it. Um, and then, yeah, they were actually technically the last undefeated team in baseball. There was about a two hour window yesterday on Sunday where they were the only undefeated team. And I'm thinking, you know, we need a map, you know, like when San Diego State was undefeated in basketball. And that was a big deal. Show us the map. We need the map update. And I was thinking, wow, we should do that for the Padres, too. But anyways, n- none of the teams are undefeated any longer. The Padres are now three and one. Um and it was, you know, someone, someone, uh, one of my friends on Facebook posted a photo of a newspaper showing the standings. And man, that just brought back a flood of memories. Cause I remember, you know, as a young adult, as a teenager, even as a, you know, as a kid, really paying attention to the box scores in the newspaper, reading the standings, always trying to do the math to figure out how they computed games behind. But the Padres were never in first place. They were always near the bottom when I was watching or reading the newspaper. But it even takes me back to when I was a little kid. I would go visit my aunt and uncle in San Francisco because I was born in San Francisco, raised in the Bay Area. And my aunt and uncle lived on Twin Peaks. And I sometimes I would spend a few days up there and they got the San Francisco Chronicle and the newspaper, uh, the sports section was in green. They called it the green sheet. And um, or was it the green, the sporting green, I guess is what it was called. But we used to see the the standings in green, which is kind of like a nerdy thing that kind of made me feel pretty good about it. But back then, back in the mid to uh, early to mid seventies, you know, the Padres and the Giants are always near the bottom. Um, but it's nice to see the Padres on top. So let's see if you know if this season continues. I mean, this COVID thing is. You know, there's an outbreak with the with the uh, Miami Marlins, and there's concern that maybe the team they just played, the Philadelphia Phillies, maybe they got infected. You know, they've shut down the Miami Marlins for a full. It's either a week or two weeks. They're just hitting the pause button on them. Um, Philadelphia is going to take a break, and they're they're kind of doing testing and studying. So, you know, this would just be you know typical Padres. They end up having a great season, and then the season will get canceled. <laughs> Just like what happened with San Diego State basketball. They have a great run and then the tournament is canceled and the continuation of the San Diego sports curse would go on and on and on. But 
man, you just got to love how these players are playing. I mean, Eric Hosmer is discovering launch angle. He's getting the ball in the air. He's had a home run, a two bases clearing doubles. Um, Profar, you know, getting on base. Even though he has one hit, he still has been getting on base a ton, scoring runs. Um, Tatis has been electric. Hosmer has hit a home run. Um Hedges, yeah, Austin is Hedges has been struggling behind the plate. Defensively, he had a couple of good plays, a couple of shaky ones. One of those catchers, either he, he or Mejia, has got to reach out and claim that job. I think Mejia is getting the start tonight against San Francisco. Um, Tommy Pham looking good, you know, he's getting on base, stealing a ton of bases, doing what we asked, and he really should have had the game-winning hit on Sunday, except David Peralta made that circus catch in left field that saved the game for Arizona. But Pham has been great, and then these young guys, Grisham, Oliveras, Cronenworth, you know, they're all showing us something. So I'm I'm really excited. I mean, Will Myers, I'm still rooting for him. He's had some good moments and some down moments to start the season. Um, but he, I think he's starting tonight. Uh, so we'll see him in San Francisco. And, and then the pitching, my God. Paddock, Lament, Richards have all been lights out. Lucchese, you were always kind of a little uncertain with him. And sure enough, he got hit around against Arizona. But he held that he held the score down. I mean, he really you know deserved a much better outcome in that game. Um, the bullpen had been lights out, except um, in that at the very end of of, uh, of um, the Sunday game. But it's the pitching has been great. You're seeing Quantrill; he threw well, and you, you, we still have Gore and Patino working out at USD. We maybe we're going to see them. So the pitching has been really good. I mean, I was looking them up online. I think they're in the top ten in terms of ERA in Major League Baseball. I mean, that's. Awesome. And, and the hitting is there. So I'm just really excited. I mean, I really think that, th- that this could be a really fun year. I mean, it's going to be a short season, a season with an asterisk, maybe not a season at all. But I mean, you got to love rooting for the home team, especially when they're they're fresh, they're exciting. They got a new look. They got a new manager, some new players. But, you know, so it's really a thrill. So i um, looking forward to them playing the Giants tonight. I think it's at 645. So I'll be tuning in. What time is it now? It's gosh, it's almost five o'clock. So, yeah, we'll knock down this podcast before game time. That's for sure. Um, the other thing I've been doing is the the movie or the TV show that I've been streaming lately is called Mr. Sunshine. And I'm really, really enjoying this. It's a it's a streaming show on Netflix and It's not the crazy one with Matthew Perry when he was the general manager of the sports arena in San Diego. That was a different Mr. Sunshine. The one I'm watching is um, it's about, you know, around the turn of the 20th century. And it's a lot to do with Korean culture, Japanese culture, American culture, all coming together. Um, It's a really special show. It's very artistic. It's extraordinarily well done. And it's about this young boy who was a slave in before it was called Korea. I guess it was called Joseon. And he was a slave boy. He had escaped, somehow found his way onto an American ship, um, got to the United States, to New York City, was raised there. Um, and, and and really wanted to become American. He entered the military, returned back to his hometown, Joseon, in, in, in what is now Korea, um, as an adult. And he's going through kind of reliving his past, kind of settling old scores. You know, there's a little bit of love interest involved. There's kind of old, um, you know, old school dynasties and aristocrats and it's just a really neat show, and and I'm really really enjoying it. So I just want to put that out there, um, Mr. Sunshine. You know, it's when it was recommended to me um, by a podcast host that I enjoy listening to, Jerome Brook. He said that it's really a it's it's really heavy on values, and it's true. There's a lot to do with independence and integrity and justice. Uh, it's, it's just I'm really enjoying it. So I think I'm maybe on episode four so far, and I think there are. 10 or 12 episodes, maybe more, but I, I, I can't say enough about it. It's a lot of subtitles. So if that's your thing, um, but it's really good. Well, anyways, um, 
Okay, we want to talk today. We're going to get into um, some of the issues with masks. We're going to talk about the economy, and I'm going to really do a deep dive on some Poway issues because there's a lot going on in town. I haven't really done a, a really serious update here on Poway News, and so I'm going to get into that. But first, I want to talk a little bit about the masks. And, you know, this is, you know, the COVID crisis is flaring up again. The, the, the cases are increasing, and there's more and more call for people to wear masks. And yeah, I mean, obviously the masks make sense, you know, they're, they're the right thing to do, but it, it's interesting how it just gets politicized and, and it's science and it, it doesn't really need to be politicized, but of course it is. And so you've typically got some, you know, I'll, I'll call them do-gooders that are wagging their finger at people, trying to get them to wear masks and shaming them for wearing masks. And and it, it's interesting is these people, you know, politically generally end up being some of our friends on the left of the political spectrum that are just really hardcore about it. They're not just recommending face masks, but they want people to be fined. They want compliance teams that are out there. They want the police to give them citations and fines and ever increasing fines, make it punitive. If you're just out walking your dog in town with not anyone more than 20 meters away from you. Well, we got into a pretty heavy conversation about this in uh, uh, on Facebook in the Poway South and North Votes um, uh, Facebook group. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that are really hardcore about this. And it's interesting to me. I mean, sometimes I feel like it's almost too much, too far, because if you're out on your own and you're walking your dog and you're on a lonely street and there's nothing going on around you, you shouldn't be required to wear a mask then. Um, but in other settings, absolutely. Like, you know, when you go into a store, that makes sense where you, you should wear a mask. And in fact, most stores demand that you wear a mask. And that makes perfect sense. And in fact, those businesses have every right in the world to demand that their customers comply with their policies when you're in their store, which is fine. Um, but when you're out in the public square, I think there there are nuances, there are judgments that need to be made. I mean, obviously, if you're in a situation where you may be in proximity of other people, if you are you know, if you're on the beach, if you're at a park with other people, if if you are um, walking or running on a trail that's very popular and you're likely going to be kind of rubbing elbows and shoulders with other people, then, of course, of course, the right thing to do is to wear a mask. Um, and I'm sure 99 percent of the people are doing it. But, you know, th there are others that it, it's interesting to me because there's still some people out there that refuse to wear a mask and they just they just don't want to be told what to do they they think it's a hoax they think it isn't necessary and i'm just thinking this is foolish um these are people that you know they're they're f fired up they're they're coming after the government they're saying the government cannot make me wear a mask this is violating my rights i'm thinking really I mean, of all the things that you could possibly be mad at the government about, this is what you pick? I mean, we can make a long list of things where the government is treating people unfairly, putting people in cages at the border, the incarceration state, excessive taxation, corporate welfare, BS wars all over the place, rigged economies. I mean, I can go down the list. And you're not protesting any of those things, but it's the mask <laughs> that really is the thing that that triggers you. Just it's incredible. And the mask wearing the mask is in your own self-interest. Um, now, maybe you don't believe in the science of it, but it's obvious that there is a virus going around. And if you're not wearing a mask when you're out in public, you know, it's for your own protection. I mean, so this is just such a silly thing to to the a silly hill to fight your battle on or to, you know, fall on the sword. Uh, it's just the wrong issue. So um, I'm just still just blown away by it. And and especially now that the, the virus cases are ramping up again, you know, I guess to a certain degree, there's some virtue signaling. You know, you see people wearing a mask and they're trying to be good citizens and, and trying to be respectful to people around them. And I am that way to a degree. Um, but to me, 
<laughs> this is not the issue to fight and to resist. I mean, it's it's a tiny, it's insignificant, and and it frankly it helps you. And if maybe you're not going to catch the 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 COVID virus, it'll keep you from catching other things too that are floating around there. So um, this seems like to be an easy one to comply with, but still, some people are resistant. I just don't get it. Um, okay, well. We're going to keep moving here. I'm going to now dig into some Poway issues. You know, we're doing this live stream on YouTube. So this gives you a chance if you want to ask questions, want to engage in the dialogue. I'll be looking over here at my computer to seeing if there are questions. And even though this is a podcast and it's me to you, I'd love to hear from you to me and we can have some fun with this. So. I'm still learning the podcast uh, live stream bit here. Just testing it right now on YouTube. Once I kind of get into a rhythm with it, feel a little more comfortable with it, then we're going to simulcast it and also do the live stream on Facebook. I think that'll open up a lot more people to become aware that we're live streaming these. Um, But anyways, let's get into some Poway News Update. And this is a little bit of old news. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago, and it came out that you know Rabbi Goldstein at the Poway Chabad was just busted in, in a huge tax evasion scandal, and everyone is like, "Whoa!" They're taken aback by this whole thing because you remember back in. I guess it was April of 2019 is when we had that terrible shooting um, at the Chabad and Rabbi, Rabbi Goldstein was injured. I think he got his hand shot. Um, and, um, you know, we had one person that was killed. Um, we had other people that were injured. I mean, and it was in a place of worship. It was just a terrible event. And there was such an outpouring of sympathy in the community and rallying together to support the Chabad, to support Rabbi Goldstein. And then we found out that he was running a scam where people would donate money to the Chabad and and get it as a tax write-off so they could, you know, write and, and show the IRS that they have a lot less income. And then he, uh, uh, the rabbi, had was laundering that money through a lot of other channels and then returning about 90% of the money back to the donor, um, which is amazing. So we're dealing with that. And, and, it's hard because in the community, we're like trying to reconcile this because on one end, we were sympathizing with the Chabad. And now some people are just furious. They're angry. And I, I got to give a tip of the hat to um, Amit, uh, Amit Asaravala. And he is the um, he writes a, uh, an occasional column for the Pomerado News, like for the Poway Chieftain Rancho Bernardo Journal. And he's also the president of the San Diego Democratic Club. And he came out with an article that I thought was very well done talking about what we meant when we said Poway strong. And he was explaining this sort of, you know, mixed message, this contradiction of having sympathy and anger around the Chabad, around the rabbi all at the same time. And and to, to Amit's credit, he, he wasn't he was being careful to separate the two issues and not lump them together because. You know, we've had incidents not of anti-Semitism, not just at the shooting at the Chabad, but, you know, it was about a year and a half ago there during the holiday season, you know, people spray painted a swastika on someone's house when they had their Hanukkah lights up, you know, and then there was an outcry of support from the community, you know, fighting back against this kind of hate. Well, you know, we do need to fight against that. And and. Amit was very careful to separate the bad deeds of the rabbi and his co-conspirators and not letting that tarnish, you know, the the good message that we were all rallying together to fight hate, to support the people in the Chabad, those that were not only injured, but those that were potentially injured, those that are victims of these kinds of hate crimes. Um, so. I thought it was very well done what he did. And you know, he talked a little bit about his child and I guess his child had attended that preschool. Um, some of his child's classmates um, later on were, were um, victims in that shooting. They were, you know, they got hit by scrapnel and, and so it was moving, you know, what he had to say about that. And I just thought he did a great job and, you know, he really wants to focus on, you know, what we mean by Poway strong. And that means, 
let's um, let's keep standing up to this. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the rabbi. I know that apparently the, the IRS was already um, investigating him at the time of the shooting. And he was cooperating. So is he going to do jail time? I'm not sure. There's a lot of people that want to see him go to jail. I mean, you know, none of us like paying taxes. Um, Taxes are expensive, especially here in California. It's really expensive. And I know that every one of us are doing everything we can to pay the least amount of tax possible. But all of us or just about all of us do it legally. You know, we we take advantage of the opportunities in the tax code to minimize our, our top line revenue so we can pay the lowest amount of tax. Um, but when we see other people cheating the system, yeah, that gets people angry because, you know, taxation to a great degree, in my opinion, is theft. And But it's the game you've got to play um, to live in the United States. And when you see people that are undermining the system, yeah, I mean, it's no, no doubt that it makes people angry because we do everything we can to comply, you know, but... Yeah, there's it's it just it's just a crazy situation because of that mixed feeling. So let's pay attention. Let's see how this all plays out. Um, but it is just kind of tragic how, how, how all of this occurred. And kind of the side note to all of this is that during the Chabad shooting and the community came together and, you know, tip of the cowboy hat to our mayor, Steve Voss. And, you know, he, he did a great job. I think as mayor, he, he put his arms around the community and and um, led the community in an outpouring of love and sympathy and brotherhood and unity. Um, but the mayor um, is also very good at getting his face in the camera, um, whether it's a TV camera or a photo for a, um, a you know, photo op for a newspaper or, or for an online uh, media. And we saw so many photos during that time of Steve Voss with Rabbi Goldstein, and in some cases, Steve Voss with Rabbi Goldstein with President Trump. And normally, you know, Getting your photo, if you're a candidate and you're getting your photo taken around celebrity, that's usually a pretty smart marketing move. It raises your profile, it raises your brand. But if those people that you're in the photo with suddenly become villains, um, then it, it, it takes an interesting turn. So I'm kind of curious to see how this is all going to play out for, for Steve Voss. Most likely, it won't affect him. Um, everyone knows that. You know what the rabbi was doing. I mean, Voss wasn't involved in that at all. But it is interesting how that sort of um, uh, proximity to celebrity can rub both ways. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, the next thing I want to talk about here in Poway is the Poway Center for the Performing Arts, and this is like a, a theater, you know, that we have, and it's right next to Poway High School. And it's an interesting thing where they they created this. Gosh, probably before I moved into town. And it's on the property of the high school. So the school district owns the property, but the building was built by the city. And I'm I'm guessing they probably got some private donors as well. And this facility does a number of things. They have um, a lot of community um, events there. um, All the school performances, whether it's for... um, you know, ensembles and orchestras and and plays are all held there. Um, There are, like I said, community events. Sometimes um, city leaders will host events where they they have to have a large audience. And then there's even um, a promotion company that's involved that will bring in some, you know, decent artists. I mean, I know that Chris Christofferson has played there, Melissa Etheridge, um, Los Lobos. I mean, and and then a lot of other kind of more niche uh, performers have been there as well. So it's an interesting thing. It's a nice thing to have in our community. I know there's a lot of community love and support for the facility, but the facility is losing a lot of money. The building itself needs significant repairs. I think it's four or five million. I'm not sure. I know that the and that on an annual operating budget basis, it's cash flow negative. The city of Poway has been subsidizing it with tax dollars every year to the tune of, you know, ballpark figures, roughly a half a million bucks a year. And the city 
of Poway, based on the recommendation of the Budget Review Committee, which, by the way, is a committee that I sat on, probably I was like in 07 through 09, I think. That was a long time ago. Um, but the, the, the Citizen Budget Review Committee for the city of Poway made a recommendation to the city council that they need to do something here. They needed to either wash their hands of this facility, sell the facility, get someone else to take it over. They basically need to unburden the city of that half a million dollar operating loss that is being subsidized by taxpayers. And then also to relieve it of all these maintenance costs that have been, you know, neglected and deferred. So the city has then entertained the possibility of selling the building to the school district. And immediately the school district is like, yeah, we'd be interested. And you're thinking, what in the hell? The school district is losing money hand over fist. Even before this whole COVID crisis, the school district was in budget deficits. The school district was still hadn't even started paying off the billion dollar bond, had other bonds going on. The school district was pleading with the with the um, the community for more bonds, for more maintenance on their existing facilities that haven't been kept up. And now they want to take over a building that has huge maintenance needs and a facility that is cash flow negative when the school district is already cash flow negative overall. They already have a budget deficit, but yet they were jumping on it and we're thinking, what are you doing? You know, what is the school board doing considering, you know, jumping in and taking over this facility? You know, the only thing I can figure is that it it would give them a little bit more ammunition, a little bit more public sympathy when they go back to the public and try to get funding for the next bill, for the next um, for the next bond, because we know that's coming. I mean, they lost in in March. I'm surprised, frankly, that they're not going to be on the ballot here in November. Maybe this whole covid thing was, you know, took them off their off their um, their strategy. But it's very interesting um, what they're planning to do with this. Um, the city, are they going to sell it? Um, I know that there's a community group that is coming forward and they're the supporters of the arts and, and they think they have a way to minimize the deficit for the Poway Center for the Performing Arts, not necessarily zero it out, but to make the operating budget or the operating deficit of which is now, what, a half a million bucks a year, getting it down to some lower number. I don't know what that number is. Um, I know that the city council has agreed to do a workshop with this group and they're going to figure it out. Um, But it does raise the issue. I mean, is this really something that a city should be doing? Um, Should a city, what's what's the role of a city government? Is it to... Usually you think it's to provide infrastructure and, you know, water and sewage and roads and then definitely the public safety, you know, with police and fire and and that sort of thing. And then there's parks and parks and recreation. But then should the city be subsidizing art is or should art really be something that comes from private donors? Should this facility and this is what I believe, I think the facility should be privatized. I think the people. I think this, the, the facility should be funded by the people that use the facility, <laughs> just like any amphitheater, just like any, um, you know, concert venue. Um, it, it needs to be self-sustaining. It needs to be able to live off of its own revenue stream. Um, in my opinion, this is for the city, from the city's perspective, managing a performing arts center is like, priority number three million and two on the list of priorities. Um, So I'm glad that the city is looking for ways to unload it. But imagine if they end up selling it to the school district, then we we as taxpayers end up paying twice. Now our tax dollars that go to the schools are ended up paying for the city. And we've already been subsidizing with the city. Then we'll just be subsidizing it with the school district. It would relieve the city. But, you know, as taxpayers, we're still on the hook. We're still the ones that are bearing the burden of that operating deficit. So, yeah, this needs to be privatized, um, definitely. But I don't know if it ever will because it's complicated because it's on school district land, but it's a city-owned building. And and then that whole area, you know, normally you think if you're going to go out to a concert and night out, maybe you go out for dinner and drinks or something like that. But this is up in a residential area next to the high school. I mean, there's... There's no restaurants or anything like that within at least a couple of miles. So it's just kind of in a bad spot, too. So I don't know what they're going to do. We'll find out. I mean, my instinct tells me that if this 
organ, its organizing group can come up with a way to dramatically minimize that budget, that might be something that the city swallows. Um, but their budget is going to be kind of thrown sideways because this whole COVID thing, I mean, their revenues are going to be down. Their expenses are probably up to a degree. Who knows how it's all going to shake out? But one thing for sure is the school district can't be doing it. There's just no way. Um, other things in town, I mean, how about a big shout out? There's two guys I want to shout out. And, and the first one is Rick McCandless. Um, Rick is a, a realtor here in town. Good guy. Um, used to be my neighbor when um, I lived in the southeast uh, section of Poway. Great guy, great family. And um, he has been sharing on Facebook. This is hilarious. He got hit up by a scammer um, that was trying to get him to buy these um, Amazon gift cards. And and he played along with this. And he's been posting the screenshots of this on Facebook. And it's just fantastic. Um, he's been just like playing with this guy, teasing this scammer. And they would later on find out that, you know, this is a scammer. I think he was from Kenya or was it Nigeria? Somewhere in Africa. Um, But it was something. But they ended up kind of becoming friendly. And, And, you know, Rick, you know, admitted that he was playing with him. It was just fun. So I invite you to go check that out if you're interested. I think he posted a little bit of it on the Poway Neighbors Facebook group, but it's really good. And the other um, big shout out I want to give is to Mike Leland. And Mike Leland is the new chairman of the board for the Poway Chamber of Commerce. He's the father of frequent podcast guest, David Leland. You know, David Leland loves coming on. We love talking sports, Padres, Aztecs. In fact, David and I did a podcast episode last week. Well, Mike's his father, another great guy. And so he's the chairman of the of the chamber. And there was just a feature article on him in the local paper. So big shout out to him. Okay. So now we, okay, it's what, July 28th. So we're getting into election season. And, you know, the national elections are heating up. It's Trump, it's Biden, and they're going to have their conventions here at some point. I don't know how in the heck they're going to do it. Um, Joe Jorgensen, a potential, you know, might be able to make a little noise. You know, she's the candidate from the Libertarian Party, but really it's going to be Trump or Biden. But while the whole focus is on the national election, there's a lot of interesting um, things, interesting races that are going on here locally. And we're in that period where the candidates are filing. Some of these candidates had already declared their candidacy before the filing window started. So we knew who some of them were. Um, We had great success getting this podcast launched in the fall of 2018. I had a number of different candidates for Poway mayor, Poway city council, Poway school board that joined me here for a sit down podcast conversation. We had great time. In fact, I remember I did the math and we had about two thirds of the candidates that were running for local office were guests here on the podcast. And many of them were victorious. So uh, I was glad we played a role. And for me, I enjoy the conversation. I I like to make this this podcast to be something of a community forum where voters and, and people here locally can kind of get to know some of these candidates. Um, and so I'm hoping we get to do that again in 2020. And I've already interviewed some of those candidates. Um, but, you know, here we've we got a couple of races in Poway District 2. Barry Leonard is the incumbent. Um, he's going to be running and uh, be up against Phil Factor. Um, both great guys. I, I've known both. Um, I've known Barry, actually, for quite a while. I'm, he ran in – he was appointed, I think, in 20. Yeah, he was appointed, I think, after um, Steve Voss was elected mayor in 2014, if I recall. And then he ran for re-election in 20 – Barry Leonard ran for re-election in 2016. Um, and he was elected – and this is before they went to districts and everything else. Well, he's, his term is coming up here in 2020, so he's a good guy. He's a he's a Boston guy. Um, uh He's a great guy to sit down and talk sports with. And he's got to this, uh, this, I don't know if he still has it, but this old ice cream truck that's pretty cool. I've seen that. Uh, but I've been to his home a few times. And he's just a really good guy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Barry. Uh, but he's also running, he's running against Phil Factor, another great guy. And Phil joined me here on the podcast. We had a, uh, a Zoom call that we shared as a podcast episode, gosh, about a month ago. Um, Phil Factor, a humanist, that's what he's all about. It's about the people. Phil Factor is extraordinarily well-known in town. He was a teacher at Poway Unified, a coach. I think he taught at um, 
Mount Carmel and a number of other schools. There's a lot of people that we've run across. In fact, there's another candidate, you know, um, Cindy Seisma, who said that Phil Factor was one of her teachers back when she was in high school. So a lot of people know Phil. Um, and they're both running in District 2. And, and the filing deadline, I think, is going to expire in another week or two. So there's still a window of opportunity for someone else to jump in. Um, but I'm intrigued by this race. Um, I'm kind of hoping no one else jumps in because, you know, the incumbent always has an advantage. But then when there's, you know, three or four challengers going against one incumbent, you know, they tend to split the anti-incumbent vote and it makes it easier for the incumbent to win. So in this race, if if it's just Barry and Phil, I think we're going to see a pretty interesting race. Um, I know Barry Leonard as a sitting councilman. He's got a lot of fans and, and he's got a lot of foes. Um, there's people that really like Barry and there's a lot of people that don't um, for a, a long list of reasons. Um, so it'll create an interesting an interesting race. So I, you know, we've had um, Phil on board. I'm hoping Barry will join me here on the John Riley Project, um, do a sit down conversation um, by Zoom. I don't think we're going to be ready to open it up back to invite people back to my house to do it. But I'm hoping we'll be able to get to that at some point. But Barry certainly is welcome to join me here. So Barry, if you're listening or friends and family of Barry, if you're watching, um, you know, please let him know that he has an open invitation to join me here for a sit down conversation. And we can learn more about Barry Leonard and his background and his and, you know, his history and his history here in Poway and the things he's accomplished on city council and what he wants to do moving forward. That'd be a nice balance to the work we did with Phil Factor um, in the other um, race. And this is going to be in District four. And it's interesting, too, how Poway has divided the city now into districts. 2018 was our first election cycle with districts, which I think is good. I mean, I think it gives smaller neighborhoods, you know, a a closer connection to who the representative is. Um, It also makes it easier, frankly, for the the candidates to campaign because they have to cover a lot less homes, a lot less potential constituents. So in District 4, which is the district that's generally speaking south of Poway Road, there's a few exceptions where they draw the line. But this is the district that forever and ever and ever had very little representation on the city council. It was a a district that um, in some ways they kind of felt neglected. And so Kaylin Frank is the incumbent, you know, and, and she um, stepped into that role. Um, how did that shake out? It was it after Barry, after um, Jim Cunningham retired, I think maybe to Kaylin Frank, I think she was appointed to that slot. So this is her. Um, she ran in 2018 at large and Kaylin joined us here on the podcast and we had a wonderful conversation. I mean, she's a very pleasant woman, um, young, a young mother. She just had her second child, um, lives um, right off of Pomerado Road, south of Poway Road, but just very nice, very pleasant, um, very friendly, um, very helpful. I've seen like especially during the water crisis, she was reaching out and helping other people. But she is relatively new to Poway. When she was appointed to city council, she had only lived in the town for three months, which was amazing. Um, but now she's been here a few years and, you know, she's building and developing roots in town. And I think the the newness of her is kind of wearing off. You know, she's kind of now a Powegian, you know, just like all of us. So so she's running for reelection. And she's going to have two challengers so far. I mean, the 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 ballot um, or the window for filing is still open. Chris Olps is going to be one of her challengers. Chris, of course, is a, um, a, a longtime Poway civic activist. He's run for city council a few other times in, in the past. He joined me here on the podcast. Gosh, was it? In June of 2019, I think it was, it was middle of last year. And he announced his candidacy right here on the John Riley Project, um, which I thought was wonderful, really announcing his candidacy so early because that gave him an opportunity to, to kind of build the grassroots and an opportunity to knock on every door in that in that district multiple times. Um, so Chris, a good guy. Chris, very um 
very um, focused and and passionate about policy. Um, he's a very smart guy. Um, understands a lot of the, the the whys and the hows of the reasons why a lot of the policy was created. Um, sometimes he's a vocal critic of the city. Sometimes he's a vocal supporter of the city council. Um, but he's a guy that definitely cares. He he really cares about this community. He's lived here a long time. I, if I recall, he lived here when he was a child. So he's got long, deep Poway roots. So he's running. And then there's another person that has showed up. His name's Frank Fournier, who's going to be running in District 4. And I don't know who Frank is. I've never heard of him. Um, I, I think, you know, we were talking about that today online on Facebook. So um, Frank is going to be invited to join us here to have a, a conversation. I'm going to reach out to Frank. And then actually, Kaylin Frank, Kaylin, if, if you're welcome to come back, if you want to give us an update on the things you've been working on on city council and want to share some some thoughts, uh, some of your goals for 2020, you know, all candidates are welcome to join me here on this podcast, whether they're running here locally in Poway for mayor or city council or for school board. But even if you're running for Congress, when we had... Um, Fernando Garcia on here. He was a uh, a candidate for Congress, and it was in the was it the fiftieth district? I think it was. Um, he was an independent candidate, a great guy. Um, so yeah, we're always interested in having political candidates as guests because not only we do we get to know them and really understand what makes them tick, kind of get an understanding of their character, their history, but we also um. We, we also have an opportunity as a jumping off point to talk a lot about local issues and, and some really interesting conversations come about as a result of it. So, yeah, all candidates are welcome to join us here. Um, oh, and then um, school board. So there's a number of there's two different school board races. They've also gone to districts. Um, and one of them is going to be I think it's is it District E? Um, and this is the one where Kimberly Beatty is the longtime incumbent. She's been in office, I think, since 2012. And it, I haven't heard a formal announcement on this, but it, it appears that she's you know, going to be stepping down at the end of her term. I don't know what her life situation is. I had heard rumors that she was maybe moving um, me. And I know she has a law degree and I know there's a lot of other things she wants to pursue in her life. Um, I'm a big fan of Kimberly Beatty. Um, she and I don't necessarily see eye to eye on national issues, but on local issues. I mean, I think she does a lot of the right things for the right reasons. Um, she has been frequently the minority vote in a four to one or a three to two vote on the Poway Unified School Board. Um, she's fought the good fight. Um, she may be tired from that. I'm not sure. I mean, it's been a struggle and she's been battling, been doing it for eight years. Um, and it appears that she's not going to run again. So, so far, I don't think she's announced her um her candidacy for this 2020 cycle. So we had Jimmy Karam on earlier. He's a, he's a um, candidate. He joined me for a podcast interview. I think it was in late June. I think it might have even been the same week or the week after Phil Factor when he was here. And Jimmy Karam, another great guy, um, you know, uh, military veteran and, you know, a professor at, at Palomar College and passionate about schools. And I, I really liked him a lot. I think he's a good guy. And um, and he's going to be running against um, Cindy Seitzma and. She and I just had a conversation. I invited her on the podcast. We're scheduled to do a Zoom call that I'll be sharing with everybody here. And we're scheduled to do that on Monday. So looking forward to meeting Cindy Seitzma. Um, she's going to be running for Poway Unified School Board against Jimmy Karam to fill the seat that's now currently occupied by Kimberly Beatty. And so far, as far as I know, those are the only two candidates running. And then the other district, and I think... I think, is it District B? I, I think that's the letter. Um, this is the one that's occupied by incumbent Darsh Patel. And I noticed that she has filed um, her paperwork to be a candidate here in 2020, which was expected. Um, Darsh, of course, has been on the boards, I think, since 2016 and has been very aligned with Michelle O'Connor Radcliffe and with TJ Zane in a lot of those three to two or four to one votes that have happened on the city council. Uh, 
Darsh, very well-educated person, very personable person. Um, so she has um, announced her candidacy. Um, she's, of course, welcome to join me here as well, as all candidates are. As far as I know, there's no challenger that has stepped up um, to face her. I'm sure she's paying attention to filings. It would take a, certainly a great deal of um, anxiety off her plate if she didn't have to really run. So we'll see. I, I'm hopeful that there's some competitors step up. I mean, incumbents need to be challenged. It's a healthy part of the process. But the, the part of the story that's interesting is when I went on the San Diego Registrar of Voters website, um, it's amazing the things you discover there. Because not only are you finding out which candidates are filing, but you're finding out who's given money. And so TJ Zane, who is a sitting member of the um, the school board has a foundation called the San Diego County Prosperity Foundation, and he received um, five thousand dollars from San Diego Gas and Electric and ten thousand dollars from Walmart. You know, T.J. Zane, he's a he's a political animal and he's been involved in San Diego politics now for quite some time. The former executive director of the of the Republican Party in San Diego County, the former president of the Lincoln Club, which is kind of a lobbying group um, for developers and downtown business interests um, and a sitting member of the school board. But what's interesting is, is he's not up for um, reelection until 2022, but he's still fundraising. And so uh, $15,000 came in for him. It goes to the San Diego Prosperity Foundation. So technically, that's really probably not his campaign, but it's something. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I'd like to find out. Um, I know he's got other kind of revenue streams that he he organizes, you know, in the world of San Diego politics. But the other part of this is, is Barnhart Reese Construction had filed a lot of paperwork. And this is a construction company that was very involved in the billion dollar bond, very involved in Measure P here in Poway that failed the new school bond. But it's incredible how they play the game. And you can see here, $25,000 went to their support Escondido K through eight schools. Yes, on Measure Q. $25,000 to the citizens for Jarupa students. Yes, on Measure E. $10,000 to the Moore Park schools. Yes, on A. $25,000 went to Fresno or Friends of Morena Valley, Norco, and Riverside City Council, City Colleges. $10,000 to the community for Brea students and schools. Yes, on Measure G. Then they kicked in another twenty-five dollars for um, Escondido schools and and then another uh, 10000 here in Poway for the, the responsible citizens and taxpayers for a better Poway Unified School District. Yes, on Measure P, another 10000 there. So it's interesting is this construction company has kicked in $130,000 to all these various um, organizations that are really pushing to get bond measures passed, which can in turn uh, become you know funding sources that would eventually fill the pockets of Barnhart Reese Construction. And it's this cronyism that's playing the game where we're seeing some of these people step up, donate huge sums of money to try to influence elections that they're going to pay off for them down the road. Um, now, Measure P, of course, failed here in Poway. I'm not sure what happened in some of these other cities, um, but it's just interesting to see that. Um, but, you, you know, you, we're talking here about local issue, elections, but even on the national level here in Poway, it's incredible. You know, I drive my car down the street down to the corner of um, Palmerado and Twin Peaks. And you see the protesters that are out there. And, you know, we did a, a podcast episode about those protesters. And originally, you know, it was back in the George W. Bush era. There was anti-Bush, anti-Iraq war people that were on one of those street corners. And then, of course, when President Obama was elected, those protesters disappeared, even though Obama <laughs> extended the Iraq war and and, and everything else. Um but now when President Trump is in office, those people returned. I mean, it wasn't the exact same organization, but a lot of familiar faces returned to that street corner with signs. And, and they were really organized. They were just there on Sunday mornings between 11 a.m. and 12 noon. It was like they punched in, did their protests and would punch out. And sometimes you'd see five people there, sometimes 25, sometimes 35. And it was an interesting group. And then what ended up happening is 
the Trump supporters went across the street and um, and we, we interviewed both sides. Um, and it was a fascinating conversation, did a podcast episode. I went down there and and met with representatives of both sides and met with Russell, who is the, the leader of the whole Trump side. And he's gotten a lot more people showing up on on, on his side to the point where they not only had one of the street corners across from the anti-Trump people, which I guess would have been the, is it the Southwest corner? Um, but then it, the Trump people took over the other two corners to the point where the Trump supporters had three of the four corners on this very busy intersection. And man, they're rallying and they're fired up. And, and um, you know, I love seeing the free expression. I mean, I'm not a Trump supporter. Um but I love that they're out there. I love that they're out there, you know, passionately expressing what they believe in and, you know, exercising their First Amendment rights. I think that's wonderful. And it is kind of cool how they show up at 11 a.m. and leave at noon. But the Trump supporters typically hang out a lot longer, get there a little bit earlier. And for them, it's a big party. And then as soon as the anti-Trump people leave their street corner, then, of course, the Trump people migrate and take over that corner. And they got all four of them going on. Um, and it just creates an interesting ruckus. It was interesting, too, is in our local newspaper in the letter to the editor, there were some neighbors that were complaining about it. And they were saying, you know, there's just too much noise out there. And yeah, because it's people honking their horns when they're driving by, either expressing their support or their anger at whichever group it is, the Trump people or the anti-Trump people. And when I was out there interviewing them, I was blown away by how people in cars reacted um, you know, people thumbs up, you know, positive support, but other people dropping F bombs, flipping them off. You know, the, the, the people on the street corner with protesting with the signs for both sides were all pretty well behaved, but it's the people driving by in their vehicles were the ones that weren't. So it's something, but it makes you wonder too, like, all right, I get the free expression part of it. I get that you love Trump or you don't like Trump. I, I get that. But what's the impact? Because we all know this is California. Okay, so let's be real. In 2016, Hillary Clinton got, I think it was roughly speaking, 8 million votes, if I recall. And I think Trump got 4 million. So it was like roughly a two to one ratio, a 4 million vote spread. I, my spidey senses are telling me that in, in 2020, that spread's probably going to be even bigger. And so... That's why I always kind of flip my nose to the whole, excuse me, the whole two party thing, Republicans and Democrats, which I strongly disagree with both. But a lot of supporters will tell you that you need to vote for the Republicans or the Democrats. This is the most important election in our lifetime. We've got to step up and do this. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. My one vote is not going to tip the scale red or blue. Some is going to vote according to my values. Um, I'm going to vote for what I believe in rather than against the person I don't want. Um, so I see these voters, uh, these protesters out there, and I kind of wonder, you know, what what impact do they think they're making? Mostly, I, I'm guessing it just feels good for them. You know, maybe it's a way to kind of feel good about who they support, a way to feel good about that camaraderie and the teamwork. Um but in the end, I, I don't think it's going to make any difference in California. You know, it might make a difference in Michigan or Pennsylvania or Wisconsin or Florida, but it's not going to make a difference in California. I mean, Biden is going to win California by a landslide. It's not even going to be close. Um, so uh, it, I prefer to see more dialogue. I, I I should maybe do another podcast with them and, and not just me interviewing each of them, but do a three way. And so they can talk amongst themselves. See, if they can find areas where they agree. Um, and that would be an interesting exercise. But that's part of why I do this podcast is I enjoy the discussion. I enjoy, um, you know, bringing people together, the community forum aspect of this. But yeah, and I just wonder what their actual impact is now. I do want to talk a bit about the economy. We're already about 53 minutes in, and I'm going to go quickly through this, but this will kind of set the stage for some future podcast episodes. 
Um, I, I, I believe, and I was just talking with, um, you know, a couple of um, my clients and we went out to lunch um, and we went, by the way, we went to this place. What was it called? Cutwater Spirits, I think. It's right off of Miramar Road. And, um, you know, they, they make their own booze like gin and tequila and everything. And I went there on what was last Friday for lunch and they had outdoor seating. So it was all legit with COVID. What a nice place that is. Wow. Beautifully decorated. Um, of course, I didn't have an adult beverage at lunchtime on a Friday, but apparently that place gets really crowded and I could see why. But anyways, we went out there as myself and, and two, two um, employees of my client, and we were just chit-chatting about what we expected for the economy. And we all think that it's going to get ugly. Um, I, to a great degree, you know, they're kind of like, it's like the kid in the Netherlands, like plugging the dike, putting his fingers in the dike to hold it up because it's, it, it, it's, it's almost like vaporware the way they're keeping this thing going. Because right now people that are unemployed are getting their regular unemployment, but they're also getting $600 a week. Now, apparently that's going to expire on Friday, July 31st, which is coming around the corner. But it's probably going to be extended. I mean, I know the Republicans and Democrats, they're battling it out, but they're going to probably wait till the last minute because they always do. My guess is, is that they're going to come up with a solution that's going to be similar because if they pull the plug on that and these people aren't getting that money, it's going to create this cascading effect where the economy is going to go in the tank Um, because they've set up this. It's like a house of cards, the way this is set up. And so it's not just the unemployment checks that are going to these people, 600 bucks a week. They're, They're now talking about another round of PPP funding. You know, because that PPP funding was only for, I think it was 10 weeks um, of time, or maybe it was eight weeks. I can't remember. But for most companies that filed for that, they've already received their money. It's being used to cover for payroll. But most, I mean, a lot of those companies are using that money to pay for their people. But once that money runs out, what are they going to do? They're probably going to lay off those, those employees because they don't have the income coming in to sustain it. Um, so imagine if the PPP doesn't continue, that's going to create a cascading effect. Um, businesses that there's a lot of businesses that have shut down permanently. There's other businesses that are sort of teetering on the edge and that PPP money is keeping them going. If that suddenly stops, then they may go over the edge of a cliff and those businesses will shut down and all the jobs that go along with that. And now they're talking about, you know, the Republicans want to do another single check. You know, they did did a $1,200 check and I think most Americans got it, but I think you had to have a income of under $75,000 to qualify. Um, So they're talking about doing another one of those checks, but um, this is, this is a house of cards, man. I mean, the, the, this virus they totally blew it in the beginning, not being organized um, around containing the virus in the early days. Um, you know, they should have the testing, the tracing and tracking and the quarantining early on to contain the virus. Um, but, you know, Trump and his people weren't organized. They were bumbling. They were pretending it was just going to go away. It wasn't a big deal. And now the whole thing's blown up. The horses are out of the barn and they have no way of managing this. And now we're left with a cluster of a situation. Now, Florida is getting bad. California is getting bad again. Now it's just it's only a, a choice of of bad selections. It's, you know, pick your poison essentially. Um, but if, if the, if the federal government doesn't keep this gravy train going, this whole house of cards is just going to implode and crash upon itself. And you figure at some point it will, you know, maybe they'll keep this, you know, fake economy going until they get a vaccine, which is what, maybe after the first of the year, something like that. But then at some point they have to stop. And when that happens, um, it's going to be crushing. Now, the alternative is that they could just keep the printing presses going, keep cranking out all this money out of thin air. But, you know, they do that thinking there's no consequences to that. I mean, that's going to have an effect on inflation. We haven't seen it yet. But, you know, that's what happens like in Zimbabwe, you know, that the the, the value of, a, of, of their um, unit of um, – their monetary unit, you know, like a dollar, whatever it is in Zimbabwe, you know, it it becomes dramatically devalued. That's what happens when money is printed, when they create money out of thin air. I don't know how in the hell the Fed is 
keeping interest rates down. I maybe this is the part of it that's just way over my my pay grade, um, but. At some point, they can't just keep doing this. I mean, if you can just keep printing money with no consequences, I mean, then why in the hell do we pay taxes? <laughs> you know, so they're, they can't keep doing this. I mean, the national debt is exploding. It's probably, what, around $30 trillion now, something close to that. Um, and it's just going to get worse. So... Then you hear conversations more about UBI. Remember Andrew Yang is universal basic income and people are saying, see, this is why we need UBI. And I always opposed UBI because I thought it was immoral that you're robbing from Peter to pay Paul. But on top of it, you know, the UBI, they always said was going to be a thousand bucks a month. Well, I always said that it was it would never be enough. I mean, whatever dollar amount it was, people would say, I can't live on that. That's not a minimum um, existence of income. And yeah, sure enough, you know, with 600 bucks a week, that's $1,600 that our people are getting, plus their regular unemployment. You know, if, if this was suddenly, you know, down to only $1,000 that were being handed out, people couldn't survive. People would be screaming bloody murder and people would be demanding more. And that's the thing with UBI is that whatever it is, it'll never be enough. Um, you know, the city of Stockton has been experimenting with it. It's only 500 bucks a month. And they've only done it for 125 people or maybe 125 households. I can't recall. Um, And it's mostly, in fact, I think it's entirely privately donated because it's an experiment. And they're going to continue the experiment. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. But, you know, at some point, it's like what they say with socialism. At some point, you run out of the other guy's money. Um, So, again, it's just a freaking house of cards. Um, I, I just see this imploding at some point. And then now the anti-eviction law thing is coming up, you know, because people that are renting have been able to not pay the rent and not suffer any consequences. You know, normally you don't pay the rent by a certain date that you get kicked out. Um, you could be evicted. And the federal moratorium on evictions expires also on Friday, July 31st, but they're probably going to extend it. Larry Kudlow, the economic advisor for the president, the I always think of Larry Kudlow as the C, as the CNBC guy. He's usually a, mo, a money guy on television. But anyways, he says it's going to be extended. Um, but but they said that is if if all of these anti eviction laws are repealed, the, they're saying that as many as forty million people could be evicted. Can you believe that? I mean, that's like fifteen percent, roughly, or almost 15% of America. And in 2016, only only 2.3 million were in, um, evicted. That's like 20x over 2016. Imagine 40 million people being evicted because if, if that's going to happen, if they don't keep inflating the balloon, if they don't keep the gravy train going, if they don't keep the, the fake economy going, um, it's going to have a cascading effect. And it's also interesting that you can you can eliminate um, eviction laws. And it's almost like that's almost like contract law, right, where two parties agree to do a deal. And you, you're in this case, you're paying for housing. And then if one side doesn't fulfill the terms of the agreement, then the agreement can be broken. Um, that's normally what happens in contract law. But now the government's saying, well, in the case of housing, contract law doesn't apply. And, and so then you think, well, what about what about the landlord? Well, maybe they're getting PPP money. Maybe they're getting other funding. But, you know, then it has a cascading effect. And you can't just keep plugging holes in this economy. It's just going to collapse. And, you know, the economy, even before COVID hit, you know, President Trump would always say the economy's great. and But really, was it? I mean, you know, the, the GDP growth rate was around 2%. That's really anemic. Now, granted, we're now in negative territory. The economy is shrinking. I think I saw it as negative 5%, which is dangerous. Um, but it's, you know, it's not anywhere near as good as they say. So, you know, we talked a little bit about this before, but what you have to do is you, you, you don't be a victim of this. Don't get swept up in it. Focus on building your own personal capital, building skills. We talked a lot about skill development in our last episode. You know, invest in yourself. This is a great time to do it, um, to learn new skills that can make you a more valuable employee. 
so that you're not out on the streets, so that you're not dependent on these handouts. So you're not, even when you go back to work, so you're not doing a minimum wage job. You can go on to companies like Skillshare that have these courses. There's a ton of them, and they're really inexpensive. A lot of other people have online courses. In fact, I've been thinking about creating some of my own because um, I think it'd be a nice little business model around the podcast is just to teach the things that, that I know. I mean, I own a marketing agency, and there's a lot of things that I've learned in my time um, in direct marketing that I could share. Maybe I'm going to do that. Um, but still, there's a lot of other great courses that are out there. Invest in yourself. You know, when I said those uh, protesters are out on the street, like what impact are they really making? You know, again, I love seeing them out there, but are they really changing the world? Probably not. You've got to be able to change your own world. You've got to be able to make those changes in your life to make you a more valuable employee, a more valuable uh, partner for your client, uh, more valuable employee for your employer. Um because it's that skill development that's going to, you know, give you the opportunity to earn a great income. And the world's changing, man. And it's shifting fast. Um, don't get steamrolled by this. This is a great time to really focus on you and, and to be better. Okay, so... Um, if you want to continue the conversation, seek me out on Facebook. You know, definitely um, like the the podcast uh, episodes on YouTube. Leave reviews on iTunes and Spotify and iHeartRadio and all the other platforms we're on. You know, just support the podcast. That would be helpful for me. That helps the algorithm so we rank higher because we're trying to grow the audience. Um, and, yeah, join our mailing list. You can go to the website, johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe and there you can get on our mailing list and we'd love to have you there too um so the, my final quote is i'm going to quote a little excerpt here from amit saravala's article that he wrote for the pomerado news and you know what we mean when we said poway strong and amit said my belief that we are all capable of not letting our anger distract us from what's important has not changed. So let's pledge to remember that the congregation, our neighbors, will always grieve the loss of Lori Kay. Let's remember that so many live with the fear of being attacked every day. Let's remember what we meant when we said we would help keep Poway strong. So good for you, Amit. I thought that was a wonderful article. I think it did a really good job. Um, and um, I, I can think of no better words to close out the podcast, the excerpt from your article. And if you want to check it out, go to pomeradonews.com. And I think it's down, yeah, in the, the opinion section, the columnists. It's down there near the letters to the editor. You'll see that column. It's a great article. So really happy to share that here. It's episode 146 of the John Riley Project. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll be back real soon for you. We'll see you later, friends. Bye-bye.